0: This is Nijuana's Now on 102.9 ESPN Radio Missoula. Time now for our ESPN roundtable, presented by Paradise Falls of Missoula. And we're joined by a familiar face, great friend of this show, and a contributor during the fall season, during football season. It's Sam Herter. He's the senior FCS analyst for Hero Sports as well as Bet MGM. How you doing, buddy? I haven't talked to you in a while. What's been going on? Yeah, it's great to
2: jump back on the, the radio slash podcast airwaves with you, uh, Coulter. It's been kind of kind of felt like a longer off-season than normal, but we're now you know about 70-some 70, 70 days away from the college football season. So just just been enjoying the off-season a little bit, but now ramping up with some FCS preview material.
0: Well, that's what sort of uh, got me started on this and, and wanted to get a hold of you because you have been doing a great job sort of uh, – incrementally preparing people for this uh, this upcoming college football season. But it's an interesting dynamic coming into this year because pretty much the whole time that we've been working together and talking with each other, we're always talking about the same defending national champion in North Dakota State. But now here we are over the last couple years, we've had a couple new uh Faces rise to the the, the, uh, the national championship prominent Sam Houston during the spring season and now South Dakota State last year. So uh, what do you think of this? Is this good for the FCS to have sort of more faces at the table, more contenders for, for true national championships? Yeah, that's an interesting question because
2: while there have been I got some, you know, some new faces winning uh, the national title. Sam Houston, you can make what you want. of the, the spring season, they still went through a gauntlet of a, a, of a playoff in the spring. And then, of course, South Dakota State last season. Uh, even with two new national champions in the last three seasons, it still feels like the FCS is pretty top-heavy, where it is, you know, North Dakota State is still there. South Dakota State has basically their entire team coming back from last year's title team. Uh, then after that, I think Montana State is you know, firmly put themselves in that number three spot. But after that, you know, where do you kind of go with four, five, six? You know, is it a Big Sky team like uh, like in Idaho? Or is it is it a William & Mary? Is it a, a team like Holy Cross? And so while there have been some new teams winning uh, the national title, it still feels like it is pretty top-heavy overall, and there still isn't a huge pool of teams capable of winning a national title. And it is interesting that last year at this time, we almost talked about it like in a, in a very negative tone where last year at this time, we thought it was going to be NDSU versus the field and who's going to be able to knock NDSU off. Well, this season, it's this preseason at South Dakota State versus the field and South Dakota State has a great chance to go 15-0 and who's going to catch South Dakota State in 2023. But we say it in a different tone because it's a little more refreshing to say it's a new team versus the field instead of it's the same exact team versus the field every single year. And so that part of this preseason has been interesting.
0: I always think about this when it comes to both the FBS and the FCS. I think that fan bases across the country, they want to believe that everybody's contending for a national championship. But, you know, this has been the sort of the bill of goods that's been sold to the FBS level. Oh, you know, we're we're competing for a national title. How many teams are actually competing for a national title, though, in the FBS? I would say uh, less than 12 every year, maybe even less than eight some years. And, you know, when when the Alabamas uh, or LSUs of the world are as dominant as they have been in certain individual seasons, there's really only one team competing for the national championship, that team. Now, though, I do think that we have for sure two teams that are absolutely national championship contenders at the FCS level, North Dakota State, South Dakota State. But then Montana State sort of leading the pack for the, the rest of the, the teams that could be contenders. But but in your mind, Sam, how many teams are actually national championship contenders right now in the FCS? I would
2: put it at three right now. Uh, you know, of course, you have South Dakota State. Uh, you know, they like I said earlier, they basically return their entire team. They lose only about three starters uh, total from last year's team that just ran through uh, the playoffs. So you have the Jackrabbits. You know, NDSU, most people are going to have them number two in their preseason ballots. Some might have them number three uh, behind Montana State, but NDSU is still going to be there. You know, the Bison have question marks all over all over the place uh, on their 2D, but they're getting massive benefit of the doubt. It's for me as well that they will still be there as, as, as a national title contender. Uh, I mean, you look at NDSU, and we always talk about how they have star power here and star power there and dudes here and there. They only have four returning all-conference players this year, and one of them is a long snapper. Another one is a, is a return specialist. And so no, no offense to special teams coordinators, but you know when half of your returning starters or returning all-conference players are special teamers and you only have one returning all-conference offensive player, only one returning all-conference defensive player, that leaves a lot of questions about NDSU and, and who are the dudes on that team. But I still consider them, uh, of course, a national title contender. And then I include Montana State in there. Uh, as well, uh, you know, of course, reaching the title game two years ago, reaching the semifinals last season, uh, you know, not competing all that well in the trenches against South Dakota State last year and against North Dakota State the previous year. But you can also look at it as, well, Montana State lost the exact same way to South Dakota State as North Dakota State did. And so maybe Montana State and NDSU yes, were were kind of similar teams last year as far as if they would have played it would have been a, a pretty competitive game you can look at that that way if you want to compare scores um, but I do think Montana State with with how much the Bobcats have coming back and how young they were in the trenches I, I want to say it was like I think it was like six offensive and defensive line starters that were either freshmen or sophomores last year and so you just expect them to take that next step forward um, And Brent vegan knows you know obviously what it takes to win a national title and he knows what it takes uh, for Montana State in the trenches uh, to get to that level. And I, I do think they can um, take another step forward in the trenches this year. And so, um, long answer, but yeah, three teams right now
0: in my mind can can win a title this year. Sam Herder, Hero Sports, joining us here uh, on Nuanas Now. It's ESPN Radio. It's our ESPN Roundtable presented by Paradise Falls. Go check out heroesports.com or also follow Sam at Sam Herder FCS on Twitter. I, I know. I, I know one of the answers that you're going to give when I ask you this, but who in your mind in the FCS is not contending right now for a national championship that could? I mean, who has the, the baseline things that you need and just needs to step up in terms of their performance uh, to to actually be in that mix with North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and Montana State?
2: Yeah, two that immediately come to mind uh, are, are Montana and then Delaware, uh, of course, um, as well. Two teams that you look at them, whether it's support from their fans, whether it's financially, um, whether it's resources, whether it's past tradition, uh, you know, great facilities going up. Or You look at, you know, the, the number of programs that take football seriously and football is their crown jewel of their athletic department and Montana and Delaware immediately uh, come to mind. And, you know, it's interesting because Montana is, with all that said, Montana is not in our top 10 for the hero sports preseason uh, top 25. Delaware um, is is not even in our, our top 25 um, a- as of right now. And so, uh, you know, those are two teams that have not met the the, the level of expectation um, that, that they can have, that the fan bases have. And so those are two teams with Um, strong tradition and everything in place to to compete much better than what they have been at the at the national level but for whatever reasons and a variety of reasons uh they just haven't they just haven't quite met those expectations and so those are are, those are two teams that um i think can can certainly rise up and and get into that top tier i'm not saying it's going to happen this year but two three years from now both of those programs have everything in place and honestly don't really have a reason why they aren't in the top five of the FCS just because because they have so many
0: things that 98% of the FCS doesn't have. Absolutely. And I I, I was hoping you were going to go there and I I was thinking that you were and uh, it it is so true. I mean, both Delaware and Montana, they have more longstanding division one tradition than the Dakota schools or Montana state. Really? I mean, both of Montana and Delaware have been, uh, competitive and, uh, elite for longer, but for whatever reason, particularly when it comes to the Grizz, they have, well, that's not for whatever reason there's defined reasons that Montana has sort of fallen. Um, but how much do you think that just impacts, uh, your, your thoughts on the Grizzlies? I mean, we, we were talking about this on the show. Uh, when, when you put out your top 25, we, we did a segment on it and, uh, It was just fascinating to analyze, and I always love the way that Twitter blows up, especially when you're talking big-sky teams, especially when you're talking about the Montana schools. But you had Idaho there in your top five, and then you had Montana at 16. And and I just think it's a fascinating discussion about the way the expectations color what we think of a team. Idaho had been poor uh, under Paul Petrino for several years. And then they sort of surprised some people by making the playoffs last year, but they went seven and four during the regular season and then lost in the first round of the playoffs. Montana also went seven and four. They backdoor their way into the playoffs. They need a, a miraculous comeback to win a playoff game. And then they go to Fargo and they get blown out in the second half of that game after hanging with NDSU for the first half. And, uh, the Grizz finish with eight wins. It's just amazing to me, Sam, the way that uh, sort of expectations color the way that we think about teams and sort of the trajectory of the program. Montana, at one point last year, was the number two team in the country, and then they lose three in a row and sort of stumble their way into the playoffs, whereas Idaho was sort of the surprise team. So uh, what do you think of sort of the, the parallel trajectory of those two teams and how much of la- how much of what you think of the Grizz is colored by last season's disappointment?
2: Yeah, and I wrote what you mentioned there. I wrote a column about that. I think it was last week too, of how, you know, being the the preseason media darlings, and this year those preseason media darlings are Idaho and Furman. Um, how that can be a good thing, you know, right? It gets your fan base ready to go. And it helps you sell more season tickets, but it can also be a curse. And it seems like every year in the FCS we have these preseason media darlings, and very rarely do they do they actually meet expectations. I mean, Missouri State and. Uh, SFA last year at this time were top 10 teams and they didn't, they didn't even make the playoffs. And I, in my column, I went back as far as 2019 where UC Davis was, they were in the media poll. UC Davis was ranked number five. Uh, that's because in 2018, they nearly beat Eastern Washington, the eventual national runner-ups. And UC Davis had a ton of guys coming back. They were ranked preseason 25 or number five. They ended up going five and seven. And so I kind of used those examples for Idaho and said, Hey, this could be a blessing. It could also be a curse because the media is going to build you up as a top five team. And if you lose in the the second round, you're going to be called overrated. On the flip side, if Montana, who is I believe they're number 16 um, in our preseason top 25, um, you know if they lose in the in the second round, you know and they've been kind of ranked in the 11 to 15 range for most of this upcoming season, then you know that's not. I guess, as bad of a season as compared to Idaho if Idaho loses in, in the second round. And so, yeah, preseason uh, polls and, and rankings, I guess, kind of set the level of expectations. Um, and I do think with how Montana's season went last year, uh, coupled with the you know quarterback question again, losing some star power on defense for the Grizz, that kind of, in my mind, doesn't put them in the top 10, but kind of puts them in the mid-teens. Which, you know, in my opinion, if you're in the mid-teens, that kind of means you, you kind of have a second-round exit of the playoff expectation. And I think that's kind of fair for Montana right now. Um, you know, I can probably guarantee the Grizz are going to creep up in the polls the first six or seven weeks because uh, their level of competition isn't all that strong. And so I fully expect Montana to start um, whatever it is. You know, 6-0, and I don't have their schedule in front of me. But uh, they're probably going to rise up. But their last five games, I think, are really going to tell us how good this Montana team can be in
0: 2023. Sam Herder, Hero Sports here on the ESPN Roundtable. It's Father's Day weekend this weekend. Paradise Falls has breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Great place for a Father's Day brunch. Maybe then roll right in and just watch the U.S. Open down there as well. Paradise Falls located on the south side of Missoula, 3621 Brook Street. Go check them out. Paradise Falls, Missoula's coolest hotspot wanted to ask you just about some of the, the sort of behind-the-curtain stuff there at Hero Sports, Sam. I know you, you mentioned the poll uh, you guys got, and, and you have uh, uh, some contributing voters now. So just tell people what, how that uh, element of what you guys do there at Hero Sports has evolved. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um,
2: you know, we have about three, three contributing uh, FCS writers uh, right now. We also added a, a full-time FBS Group of Five writer, Colton Poole, um, who many in Montana uh, will know Colton. He was a, a former, uh, former Montana State beat writer. He lives in Bozeman. Um, and then BetMGM hired uh, Colton away. Um, and now, now Colton is working at Hero Sports, covering the FBS, and Hero Sports is, is owned by BetMGM. And so we've added a lot of resources, including some freelancers for FCS. Um, and with our, our top 25 ranking, um, in the past it was usually uh, a, a two person. I don't even know if you can call a two-person ranking a a poll or not but it was a two-person ranking uh, between me and Brian McLaughlin and then that changed to me and Daniel Steenkamer and now we have uh, Zach McKinnell also voting on our preseason top 25 Uh, he's a freelancer for us he also runs uh, the Blue Bloods which is another great um, uh, FCS media outlet and so um, you know I wanted to make sure if, if you know, if it was a, if it was the Hero Sports Top 25 and it was only me doing it, it wouldn't really be the Hero Sports Top 25. It would just be the Sam Herder Top 25. Totally. Um, and so I wanted to have multiple people uh, voting on this preseason Top 25. And we'll do the same with our preseason
0: All-American team as well, where we get insights from, from multiple different people to form that All-American team. Well, to come back to Montana State, I know we talked about them a little bit, but I know that uh, you've been doing these great uh, previews about some of the top teams in the country. And I know that you just put out one about the Bobcats. Uh, in the last day or two, um, you can find all this stuff, by the way, uh, at heroesports.com, uh, or you can also follow Sam on Twitter. Great follow at Sam Herder uh, FCS. You mentioned the trenches. That's that's been sort of the the baseline barometer for. How to catch first North Dakota State and then now South Dakota State. I mean, South Dakota State has had some of the great skill guys in the FCS over the last 10 years, but it wasn't until they got some of the great linemen that they were actually able to to summit the mountaintop. Is that the thing that is the next step for the Cats? Or, I mean, what do you think of just Montana State's overall prospects going into uh, this football season?
2: Yeah, I definitely think it starts there um, in the trenches because, you know, we've seen it the last two years and you can you can kind of spin zone it you know a a few different ways to you can either spin zone it as Montana State is is nowhere close to winning a national title because of how they played in the trenches the last two years against North Dakota State and South Dakota State you can also kind of spin it as well just as easily that well you know maybe maybe they aren't as far away as those games indicated because you know the game in in Brookings last year I was there freezing cold. It, it was slippery. Um, and Montana or Montana, yeah, Montana state's defensive line kind of got put on skates there. You can go back to the, uh, to the national title game. And once Tommy Malott was out, you know, that kind of just, uh, you know, kind of really sucked the life out of Montana state fans in the sideline. And so you can kind of, make the case that maybe the Bobcats aren't as far away from those two programs um, as, as maybe they look. But at the end of the day, you know, what you see on, on the field in the, in the final score is, is kind of the, the best thing you can go off of. Um, and so I do think improving on the offensive and defensive lines is, is really the number one uh, objective. And, you know, it's crazy to, to think because, you know, Montana State has had an elite offensive line the last two years. You know, two years ago they had an elite defensive line, but then when you see them go, go up against those top two teams in the FCS, you kind of go, well, or maybe they weren't as good as we thought, and maybe the teams that were playing in the big sky, maybe they also weren't that great you know, in the trenches. And so it's kind of hard to, to find that balance. But, um, yeah, getting stronger on the offensive line, um, I think especially getting stronger on the defensive line um, and, and building depth across the defensive line is going to be important for, uh, for the Bobcats this year.
0: How about the rest of the Big Sky Conference then? We uh, just put together a, a new podcast on Skyline Sports. We've had all five of the new head coaches in the Big Sky on this radio show here over the last couple months. And so we put all those interviews together so you can find them in one spot. And then we gave you some analysis about uh, each of those five programs, Northern Colorado, uh, Idaho State, um, Weber State, Sac State, and Cal Poly. And just some of the challenges uh, that each of those new coaches face. That dynamic, though, Sam, is so interesting. And and I don't really know if we have any sort of uh, parallel example of it. I mean, I've been covering the Big Sky now for 17 years. Usually it's two or three new head coaches. I can never remember a time when there was a full five new head coaches, almost half of the league. So uh, how much do you expect that to impact the league, particularly because two of the, the best contenders in the league, Weber State and Sac State, they both have new men uh, in Andy Thompson and Mickey Mantle respectively running the show. I mean, how much do you think the, the sort of change of the coaching landscape influences the way that the Big Sky will play out? Yeah, I definitely think
2: those top two, Sac State and Weber State, are um, obviously the, the most intriguing just because those not only have been two, two of the top teams in the Big Sky, but two teams that have consistently been top ten, if not top five, in all of the FCS. And so you look at what Jay Hill did at Weaver State, um, turned them into a consistent playoff team, uh, and now he's gone. We'll see how Mickey Mental um, does there. And then Sac State has, you know, their rise uh, in the last you know, three fall seasons, I think in, in the last three fall seasons, they lost one uh, Big Sky game. Um, and so their rise has just been uh, so quick all of a sudden. And then now Andy Thompson takes over, and, and we'll see – Um, You know, how how he does there uh, as well. And, um, you know, those are two programs that I think both have things in place to continue to be successful. But it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, sometimes you can see, I mean, Idaho is a perfect example um, when it comes to the head coach and how much of a a difference a head coach can make. Where Jason Eck inherits, you know, kind of the same look roster. I don't know if he took in a ton of transfers last year and all of a sudden just that head coaching change, uh, you know, catapults Idaho to. Uh, to, to the next level. And it also helps to have Giovanni McCoy as a freshman quarterback as well. And so, uh, yeah, Sac State and Weber State uh, will be interesting to watch both of them. They do lose you know, quite a bit, but also at the same time, uh, you look at Sac State and they actually return more than they lose. It's just the players they lose are a lot of star power player. And so I, I think both are going to be right around the top 10 um, in the FCS. I don't know if Sac State is going to go. 11-0 or 10-1 and whatever they were like like last year. But I do still think Sac State is going to be a playoff-worthy team. And Weber State, I think, will be in the playoff mix as well.
0: Last thing for you then, we, we sort of mentioned some of the teams that are yeah, early early candidates to be Cinderella's. I think Idaho is certainly one of them after their great first season under uh, Jason Eck. And uh, we sort of broke down the, the Blue Bloods that are rolling right now and the Blue Bloods need to step it up. Is there anybody out there, though, any team out there that you think – uh, really could be a surprise outside of the big Sky. I mean, is, is there anybody that could uh, sneak their way in to being a, a true contender this year uh, from the FCS landscape? Yeah,
2: I would say keep an eye on Holy Cross. Um, you know they don't play in a very good conference in the Patriot League and so they don't play a, a very good schedule and so it is hard to you know when you see Holy Cross at nine and0 or nine and one, it's kind of hard to judge them. Uh, you know, just based off of their level of of, of competition. But, um, you know, if we go off of who competed the best against South Dakota State last year in the bracket, um, it was Holy Cross. Uh, And, you know, Holy Cross, I think the final score in the quarterfinals uh, when they lost to South Dakota State, it was like 42-21, but it was 21-21 going into the fourth quarter. And then South Dakota State also scored with like 30 seconds left. And so uh, the final score didn't really indicate how close of a game that was. And Holy Cross brings back basically their entire offense. They bring back about uh, six starters on defense. Jacob Dobbs is a name to know at middle linebacker. He's one of the best linebackers in the FCS. Um, And then their quarterback, Matthew Sluka, is um, I I actually think, I, I think I said this on your radio show last year, that Matthew Sluka for Holy Cross is basically like Tommy Malott, but a much better passer. For sure. And so he's got, he's got you know great legs. He runs like a running back when he tucks it, but he's a really good passer as well. And, and so Sluka, I mean, basically single-handedly kept Holy Cross in, in the game against South Coast. State. He ran for like 200 yards and a touchdown through for like 150 yards. He's a stud, and he's back for Holy Cross as well. And so do I think they can win a national title? No, but if there was one team outside of that top three that can do so, uh, my pick would be Holy Cross.
0: Saluka's sweet. I mean, he is – I only watched him twice last year in the FCS playoffs, but he's a a really, really talented guy. I mean, for those out there listening that haven't seen him, I think that he would be among, if not the best quarterback in the Big Sky Conference. I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks Mm -hmm. in the FCS for sure. And so, you know, when we talk about schools like Montana, for example, that have had – struggles trying to find a top-tier talent at quarterback in recent years. I, you know, I just point to that. I say, hey, there's a kid over there at Holy Cross. It's one of the best talents uh, in the country. So uh, real last thing for you then, Sanders is just totally a one-stop. Is Sluka the best quarterback in the country, or who do you think the best returning quarterback in the FCS this year? Yeah, I have him, uh, Sluka, number
2: five right now um, as far as my uh, top returning, I did a top 25 returning um, FCS quarterbacks. So I have Sluka, uh, Sluka, Number five, my top five um, right now, I have Michael Hires at Sanford, number one. You could really make the case that number one should be Theo Day from Northern Iowa. Uh, just a, a cannon of an arm could potentially be an NFL draft pick, but I have Theo Day, number two. Um, I have Mark Gronowski, number three, uh, for, for, from uh, South Dakota State. Uh, Parker McKinney, I have number four um, from Eastern
0: Kentucky. Um, and so I do have Sluka in, in my top five coming at number five right there. You can check out all Sam's position rankings as he continues to roll them out. He's also got all sorts of great daily content there uh, at heroesports.com and you can also find him easy access to all this content at Sam Herder FCS on Twitter. Sam, thanks for being here, man. Good catching up and uh we appreciate it. We'll uh, we'll circle back around with you probably sometime before media days, but thanks for jumping on with us today. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me.
2: and that's when you need our help. That's when you need to call Schulte Law Firm because we know the players, we know the game. We can put people in the best position to achieve the outcome they want.
0: If you've had a bad day, visit jschulteilaw.com. One, two, three. Is now on ESPN
3: Radio. Welcome back. one is now, 102.9 ESPN Radio. Happy to have you with us. Colter Nuanez out today. You heard from Colter in the first hour when he was chopping it up with Voice of the Grizz, Riley Corcoran. Uh, and you heard from him in the second hour as well with Sam Herder, National FCS Insider, getting closer and closer to football season here. Andrew Houghton with you on Nwanez Now. And joining me, a guy who's become somewhat of a regular here on the radio throughout the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's Mike Anderson, head coach of the Grizz hockey team. It's been great having Mike on to talk to us throughout the playoffs. Great insight on the NHL, the game of hockey as a whole in the NHL season. Coming to an end last night, a very abrupt anticlimactic end, but the Vegas Golden Knights win the, their first Stanley Cup in their six-year history with a 9-3 to beatdown of the Florida Panthers. So, Mike, first off, just uh, thanks for being back here with us.
1: Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having
3: me. Well, let's just talk about last night first. Were you expecting the series to end that way? I mean, 9-3, to three, The Vegas had, Vegas had blown out Florida a couple times during this series, but 9-3 but to three last night, what was it watching the Stanley Cup Finals end that way last night?
1: Uh, it was a bit of a letdown, to be honest. I think you want to see close game, especially if you're a, a fan who's not really into either team. You just want to watch a good game. So that was a little disappointing, but it's a little inevitable. I think losing Kachuk before the game was a huge emotional letdown for Florida, and it's a team that's been riding their emotions all play off to much success and their emotional leader is out of the game, and you kind of see what happens they the wheels fell off Bobrovsky a little bit. He, you know, letting in nine goals over an under 35 shots, I think, is never a recipe for success. So, uh, it was sort of inevitable, I think, with the way Florida was playing. But it was definitely disappointing to see.
3: Would you have pulled Bobrovsky in that game if you were if you were coaching Florida? I mean, he's a guy who the Panthers have been riding throughout the playoffs. But just last night, he didn't have it. I thought that was clear.
1: Yeah, I thought that was a little bit of a strange choice. I actually had tuned out for a little bit because the score was so bad, and I came back and was like, oh, but Rossi's still in. Um, so that was surprising for sure. But I think um, it's not necessarily fair to the other goalie either to put Lion in there at that point. It's not necessarily a good thing for him to be in, in that situation. So you have to kind of balance that out. But usually four or five goals in, you're going to change a goalie out, so that was a bit abnormal for
3: sure. Yeah, the Vegas Golden Knights clinching the first Stanley Cup in team history with a 9-3 blowout over the Florida Panthers. Last night in Vegas probably kicked off a party that you could see from space, but Mike, just put this in perspective for me. Uh, Vegas and expansion teams sort of speed running their way here to the Stanley Cup. What does this mean for the league? What's your, your biggest takeaway from from Vegas winning the Stanley Cup?
1: Uh, biggest takeaway would be that they potentially made the expansion rules too beneficial, um, but at the same time, teams really bent to the will of Vegas in fear that they would lose someone they really like. No better example than the Cotton mice playoff MVP, Jonathan Marcheseau, who Florida literally traded to Vegas so they would draft Riley Smith and not these two defensemen they really wanted. So two of the top players for Vegas were given to um, them by Florida. So just some really poor choices made. And and Vegas has been pretty much ruthless from the jump. Uh, Been reading some things about Bill Foley, the the owner who has some, you know, some residents here in Montana as well. And he was, that was his goal. Playoffs in three, stomach up in six. He wasn't here to have a team and and try and have a good time. He was all about winning. And and I think it really uh, propelled the whole organization and, and ticked off a lot of people with how they treated some players at some points with just sort of discarding them. Uh, but, you know, everyone said it's all about winning and, and you know, until... <laughs> and that's always we've been about for Vegas and now they get rewarded.
3: Mike Anderson, head coach of the Grizz hockey team, joining us here on Nuanas now as he's done throughout the Stanley Cup playoff segment presented by the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill. NHL playoffs are over, but you can still watch... Major League Baseball or NASCAR, whatever you're watching this summer, you can find it along with the Best Wings in Missoula at the Desperado Sports Tavern and Grill. So, Mike, here's a question for you. Who benefits the most or, or who raised their stock the most uh, from this Vegas Stanley Cup run? From Vegas? Ooh, I think I call.
1: I would say Jack Eichel really um, silenced a lot of people. I know some people might say Aiden Hill is that person, but I think his is more of a, we'll come to see it as a blip. Goalies are so random, and as I've been telling Colt, they're all either voodoo that you don't really know. Uh, But Jack Eichel, second overall pick, lived in uh, hockey hell for a little bit in Buffalo when they were struggling. And gets neck surgery that he had to fight for, and he comes out, second leading scorer in all the playoffs and really just solidifies himself as one of the top American players and top NHL players in the league with his performance. So I think he really boosted his stock more than anyone.
3: Yeah, I think when, when Eichel was sort of struggling in, in hockey hell, as you termed it, in, in in Buffalo, who would have thought that he'd be lifting the Stanley Cup before Connor McDavid, right? <laughs> well,
1: if if you followed how much of a a disaster Edmonton's been with their GMs. It's not overly surprising, but it's at no fault of McDavid, who is, you know, Eichel is a very, very, very good player, but McDavid's a tier above everyone. And it's it's really quite um, sad, actually, that he's been stuck up in Edmonton with with management that just can't seem to figure it out. You have two generational talents with him and dry settle and they can't seem to put a roster around him that's competitive for a Stanley Cup at least.
3: Last couple things here on this on this Vegas team again. The Vegas Golden Knights taking home the Stanley Cup last night with a nine three obliteration of the Florida Panthers in Vegas. They win that series in five, uh, a true gentleman's sweep, I think, because Vegas went up three nothing, and then Florida gets one, and then Vegas closes it out. But Mike, just from from an on ice standpoint, what was it that that Vegas was doing so well? these playoffs, whether that's um, X's and O's wise, or just the way that they were using their players? What what was sort of the secret of
1: success? I would say the big secret wasn't really anything tactical. It's just how deep Vegas was. That's the main thing. They had literally four lines that can play. Uh, They don't have anyone on their roster who's there to just, you know, be a physical presence. Everyone has skill. Everyone can shoot. Everyone can pass. Everyone's looking to make plays. Which is a true testament to Bruce Cassidy as a coach, saying, like, go out there and, and try to make things happen the way that you do it. Because each line was a little bit different in how they did it, too. But I think tactically, the big thing is they blocked a ton of shots, and then their forecheck check was absolutely relentless. So Florida never had time, Florida never had space. And Vegas pretty much dominated from that first faceoff in the game one to, you know, the 9 3 whooping we saw last night. Is this Vegas team a team that's going to be
3: there next year? I mean, is this a team going forward that uh, we should expect to see in the later rounds of the playoffs for a couple of years? Who, who are they bringing back next year? I mean, is this a team that's going to be around for a while now?
1: They will be. Well, the interesting to see is much like Tampa a few years ago, who uh, circumvented the cap with the long term IR. Vegas did that this year, so they're actually about fifteen million over the cap right now. So they have some maneuvering to do once that um, kicks in, and we'll see who they have to get rid of. But right now they have what they believe to be number one defenseman in Pietrangelo and Shea Theodore, and they have Robin Lanner coming back as a number one goalie, hopefully. They have Eichel, Stone, Marchessault, Smith, Carrier. They have a, a really good core up front. So I think they'll be hanging around for a while. I don't think they're going to be a team that – Um, would be like Tampa. I think Tampa is a bit better um, and deeper, but I think they're going to be a team that every year is competing to make the Western Conference Finals. And and as we've seen this year, definitely has what it takes to win a cup. It would just be, do they get another performance like Aiden Hill gave in that? Because it's sort of their biggest hole still is they don't really know what their goalie situation is going to be.
3: Mike Anderson, head coach of the Grizz hockey team joining us for a little analysis, a little rundown of the just completed Stanley Cup playoffs. Mike, I wanted to get your thoughts also on, on just what this offseason looks like in the NHL. I know we're we're 24 hours removed uh, from from Vegas lifting the Stanley Cup. But what are your biggest stories that you're looking forward to uh, this offseason as we move forward?
1: That's a really good question. I think one of the big ones I just mentioned with Vegas, how they're going to handle, you know, uh, getting back to cap compliance. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's not a huge free agency class this year. Uh, last year was a bit more splashy. This one's kind of understated and not a ton of guys are available. So there's going to be some trades and that's really what you might see. But the NHL is pretty conservative on that. I think the biggest thing this off season is the draft. This draft has four or five guys that would have gone number one last year um it's super deep it has generational talents throughout it has guys who are projecting to be stars to be NHLers more so than most drafts um, so it's going to be a really good draft and Connor Bernard is going to Chicago number one for sure um, which depresses me as a wild fan because I don't think any organization deserves him less than Chicago but that's life um, Matt Michkov, Leo Carlson and I mean, this draft is just absolutely loaded with guys who 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 would have gone and should have gone number one last year. It's kind of similar to 2015 when McDavid and Eichel are at the top. So it's going to be, that to me is the biggest um, thing of the offseason, the draft, who takes who? Where does, where does Matt Michkov fall? He's a Russian player who a lot of people think is up there with Bedard. Uh, but with what's been going on with Russia and Ukraine and uh, the Russian national teams being banned from international tournaments, there hasn't been a clean look at him in a while, and some people are afraid of when he's actually going to come, so you might see him fall, but yeah, to me, that's the most exciting part about the offseason is this draft, and there's not a ton of big free agents, and there's not a ton of moves that are probably going to get made, but you never know.
3: Yeah, it's a little bit of a crazy year with absolute, no doubt, can't miss number one generational prospects. Supposedly coming out both in the NHL with Connor Bedard and, of course, in the NBA with Victor Wembanyama. Oh, yeah. I know you and Coulter <laughs> yeah. have talked a little bit about Connor Bedard, I think, particularly when the Blackhawks won the draft lottery about a month ago. But what's your read on him? Uh, what's your scouting report? Do you think he's he's as instant impact a,
1: a superstar as everybody is saying? I do. Yeah, I think he he has the best shot in the world right now. Regardless, not just in junior, not just in outside of the NHL. He once he steps on the ice, he will have the best shot in the NHL. His release is unbelievable. He has different ways to get it off. His skating's elite. He's a great passer. The one thing that people are worried about is his size, but he's just just a hair under 5'11", I believe, 5'10 and 3 quarters or something. Very strong, <clears throat> very good skater. So I don't see him having really any issues. I think he'll be uh, 90 points, 100 points from the jump, but it kind of depends on, too, does he have anyone in Chicago that he can play with. So we'll see on that, but I think a can't miss for sure.
3: Well, that's right, and maybe it'll be another couple more years rebuild, another couple draft picks that Chicago needs to make before you can surround him with the sort of talent that a guy like that needs. Mike Anderson, head coach of the Grizz hockey team, joining us here for our Stanley Cup playoffs segment. Stanley Cup playoffs, of course, ended last night. Vegas Golden Knights taking home Lord Stanley's Cup with a 9-3 win over the Florida Panthers. Mike, real quick, Anything else on your mind from, from last night, from this playoffs, going forward into the offseason? Any more NHL stuff that we haven't gotten to that you wanted to talk about?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. I think, you know, Colter and I got into a lot of different things. It was a good conversation with you. I think the one thing to, you know, keep an eye on with the NHL is the this new TV deal they got with TNT and ESPN and how much that impacts how – much more the NHL is a part of the popular world conversation. I think that's what they're going for. They're trying um, more so than they have in a very long time. But I think that'd be interesting to see with, you know, Miami being a, a newer market as far as interest and how much the Florida Panthers run might help, you know, boost them in a market that I think it's like six to t- six million people live in the Miami area or something. So a huge market there and a new new kind of demographic and population and just seeing how the, the, the game continues to grow and, and make an impact in pop culture because it wasn't that long ago when the NBA and the NHL were on level terms. And now you see one's a, only second to the NFL and the NHL is nearing MLS territory. So it's a big couple of years to see if the NHL can, can get more popular in, the, in sort of the general general world. Last thing for you then,
3: anything going on with Grizz Hockey? I know you guys were busy with camps last week, but what's the sort of the rest of the summer look like for the Grizz Hockey team?
1: We are just sort of wrapping up some commitments. We have a, we'll have a couple more videos coming out with guys who've committed for next year and just planning out the, the schedule. We should have a schedule release uh, relatively soon. I know Tucker's working hard on that. And and uh, yeah, it's part of the big one is the schedule release, some commitment announcements, and then we have guys reporting back August sixteenth to get rolling against Eastern Washington. We head on the road first in mid September and then and then we're back at Glacier. So it should be a, a great season. We're really looking forward to it.
3: Where can people go to to get that info, the commitments, the schedule release, just looking to stay plugged in with Grizz Hockey over the summer?
1: Uh, I would follow us on Instagram and Facebook, Grizz at UM Grizz Hockey for Instagram and then just Grizz University of Montana hockey on facebook and then our website chris hockey.com will have our schedule once it's ready and, and tickets and you can i believe already sign up for season tickets for next year so i'd get on that because it was super competitive last year and going to be more so this year so chris and then find us on facebook and instagram there you go mike anderson head coach of the
3: Grizz hockey team who's been our nhl analyst throughout this postseason here mike it's been great having you on and i know i speak for Coulter too Uh, When I say that we've really enjoyed having you and we we appreciate the analysis, we appreciate the insight. So uh, thanks again for coming on.
1: Yeah, I really appreciate it too. Thanks for having me and have a great rest of your day. There you go. Mike
3: Anderson of the Grizz Hockey Team wrapping up an exciting Stanley Cup Finals. We'll be back to take you home here on Nuanez Now right after this. It's Nuanez Now 102.9 ESPN Radio.
0: Nine ESPN Missoula. Watch the show statewide on SWX Montana Television.
3: Little suggestion there from our listeners. Centerfield by John Fogerty fitting in with our baseball discussion the last couple days here on Nuanes Now, thanks for listening to Nuanez. Now, great show today. Riley Corcoran and Coulter Nuanez in the first hour talking a little FCS football, talking a little golf, talking a little baseball. Andy Nelson of the Western Montana LGBTQ Plus Community Center and then in the second hour. Sam Herter of Hero Sports National, FCS Insider, as well as Mike Anderson and Grizz Hockey, wrapping up the Stanley Cup playoffs. You can find everything on, Nuanez, on the Nuanes Now podcast. Jeff Safford coming up. Missoula Paddleheads taking on the Glacier Range Riders at 7 PM. That'll do it for Nuanez Now. Thanks for listening.